0: Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Otter Fishing with me, Trevor Topfer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fish. Uh, this is the podcast where we're trying to create a safe and non-judgmental place to uh, share experiences, talk a little bit about some of the challenges and things that are uh, facing small business and startups, and uh, learn from some of the people who have been in the trenches for a while uh, doing it, and hopefully you'll get a little bit of value from that. Uh, So on today's episode, we're going to meet the irreverent uh, CMO of rapidly emerging uh, HubSpot legendary agency Hypendexter, a man by the name of Alex McCrill. Uh, Alex and I have been friends for a while, so this uh, will probably be more of a conversation than anything valuable, but hopefully we'll uh, uncover a few gems as we uh, get into it. Um, so I'd like to take a moment to introduce Alex, uh, who was once banned from Twitter for posting the highly controversial word Memphis. Uh, I forgot Alex.
1: about that. I forgot about that. Thanks, Trevor. <laughs> yeah, it was a, something go around on the on the forums, maybe on Reddit saying, hey, did you know if you post the word Memphis to Twitter, you get banned? And sure enough, I did. And, uh Wow. Yeah. That seems pretty crazy, yeah? Uh,
0: <laughs> uh, algorithm going on back,
1: backfiring uh, with it. Yeah. Uh, a bot gone mad, I think. Um, but it's, it all seems good now. I'm back on Twitter for
0: what it's worth. Not that I use it a lot. <laughs> have, you, uh, have you had another crack at posting Memphis to see if it does anything?
1: No, I, I very rarely post to Twitter. I, I, I gave it a go, but um, I don't know about you, but the New Zealand audience just isn't that engaged with Twitter. There's a few kind of like communities within it that are quite active. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I I found it was a bit of an echo chamber of marketers talking to marketers and yeah just shouting into the abyss <laughs> <laughs> yep.
0: yeah it's it's interesting um, back. as soon as you work in or get involved in the u.s it seems like twitter becomes a really important um mm. you know platform or tool to use but yeah certainly in new zealand for sure um, and, and in the uk where i'm obviously from it's it's huge
1: as well um it's a re- really influential platform um you know what 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 is what is spoken about on Twitter is usually you know headline news th- that afternoon or the next day you know whatever's whatever's trending whatever the hot topic is. Um, I think a lot of journalists spend a lot of their time on Twitter trying to <laughs> scatter around for <laughs> emerging yeah. news stories.
0: Yeah, A/B testing headlines to see which uh which 165 character grab gets the most engagement. Um, yeah, I think yeah, Twitter's an interesting one. It, we we kind of use it as a customer service channel, um, so you know it's one of the channels or one of the ways people can reach out to us. But yeah, Twitter in in New Zealand's a bit of a a bit of a no man's land. Maybe it's the big opportunity, Alex. Maybe if you're uh, if you're out there and in, in New Zealand and you're getting active on Twitter, you can you can uh, beat the chase and, and build a bit of a following, or. More likely, it's a, it's a dead platform that <laughs> one cares about, and you're wasting your time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, people. It's got a lot of users, but yeah, not a lot of uh, active ones, probably. Um, but yeah, if you if you are a, a small business, and I get asked this a lot, should we should we have a Twitter channel? It's not that huge in New Zealand. I say, well, you want to own your name on Twitter, right? You want you need to have mm-hmm. something, uh, and inevitably, if you do that, you, you're going to have a, an account up and running with your name. People are going to, on occasion. You know, at mention you on on Twitter, and and often it is that customer service channel, isn't it? If you um, if you want oh, to be right. noisy about your complaint and then make sure the whole world can see how upset you are with this customer, with this uh, sorry, with this company, um, at mention them on Twitter, and, and obviously all their followers are going to see it as well. And obviously the the company is then
0: compelled to respond publicly and swiftly. Mm-hmm yeah I just literally had a conversation before we got on this podcast to a guy who was posting about his experience with Tesla of all companies and uh yeah he uh he bought a car off them and had a really terrible customer service experience uh that's been dragging on for a couple of months and um, there's no real customer service function in New Zealand they've got full staff i think uh, running Tesla for the entire country and yeah it's a it's a nightmare trying to get a hold of anyone uh Anyway, the advice to this guy from pretty much everyone, including me, was just go on Twitter, <laughs> tag Elon Musk, tag, tag the brand page, and, uh, and you'll see them probably jump into action. So yeah, um, so yeah, from, uh, from the UK, uh, our listeners can probably uh, pick that one up. Um, tell us a little bit about where you came from, Alex, and, and, and how you ended up being in New Zealand. Uh, yeah,
1: sure. So uh, my connection with New Zealand is is with with my uncle who he moved here in the um, in the seventies, I think. Um, and he was he was in advertising and marketing, believe it or not, um, in McCrill and he, he lives up the road from me here. He's, he's retired now, but he was at one time uh, creative director of, of Y&R in in the eighties. Oh, right. Um, sure. Can't remember what other agencies he moved through, but yeah, some some of the kind of. Um, you know, top of town agencies during the eighties and nineties, and then kind of broke broke out and did his own thing um, later in his career, and, and did quite well for himself. But yeah, anyway, as a result of him living here, um, I, I'd been over as as a as a kid, uh, and always loved the place. And then um, yeah, post post uni, I, I did um, I did visual media, which included amongst other things, uh, advertising and design and things like that. Um, was struggling to find the kind of work that I wanted and was working in hospo and needed a change and uh, convinced my my girlfriend now, um, mother of my three children and, and wife, Lindsay, um, let's well, give New Zealand a crack. So, yeah, we, we came over, worked for 14 months with uh, varying levels, levels of success until we kind of got a bit homesick, went back home and then uh, immediately regretted it and made it permanent 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, at well, that at that point, I changed career and um, yeah, I went from working sort of corporate hospitality in in match day suites at Old Trafford for Manchester United through to um, yeah coordinating conferences at theatre venues and things like that in the UK. Um, took a copywriting internship at a small online listings business called Gopher, um, which uh, yeah, I definitely, remember Gopher? <laughs> yep, uh, definitely helped me cut my teeth in in the the online marketing space um it was in its infancy then we were getting involved with a bit of google search and a bit of uh, facebook competitions and managing facebook pages and things like that and we were absolutely figuring out as we went um as many people were sort of you know nine ten years ago um when it yeah it was it was quite this newfangled thing uh, and yeah working with small businesses yeah straight out the gate and i was literally calling up plumbers who'd bought a listing with gopher and talking about you know how, how did they want their you know their business to be um yeah uh talked about in the the listing and on their facebook pages and in their google ads and things like that and then and then writing the copy for those um then jumped over to grab one which was again engaging with a lot of small through to, to large businesses to obviously sell um Daily deals as part of that, you know, huge craze that we had um mm-hmm. around seven, eight years ago. So well, Grab a- one was the first one here in New Zealand. I mean I was I was in Australia when all this sort of stuff blew up. I hadn't I, I couldn't, couldn't say it. for sure if it was the first, but I I'd suspect so. So a bit like um a bit like trade me is to eBay, grab one was to Groupon. So, you know, mm-hmm. Shane Bradley, the guy who started it. Um, being a sort of canny individual that he is, recognized what was happening overseas and went, boom, I'm gonna do the New Zealand f- version, I'm gonna get in there quick. And um managed to get Grab One out very quickly because he had the development team that he'd worked with to develop um Finder was his other mm-hmm. online business. Uh, there might have been a couple of others along the way. Um, so yeah, moved very quickly to to start Grab One. He literally went out to it Might have been event or Hoyt Cinemas and, and bought a hundred thousand tickets. And that was the first deal on the first day of grab one. And, and they sold out within, within a few hours. He, he sold them at a loss, loss, I'm pretty sure. But he acquired an audience. And that was the key thing. So, nice. 100,000 100, people had been on the website and signed up with an email and payment info. And the ball was very much rolling. Um, wow. And as I say, it, it, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that sort of taking that leap of faith, I guess, um, got him an incredible start in that daily deal space. And this as I say, I don't know if couldn't say with confidence this was the first, but it was definitely before Groupon was on the market. It was mm-hmm. definitely before Trade Me launched Treat Me, which was their version. And it was definitely before like selling social and um, whatever. There were there were many of them
0: yeah, kind of, heaps of proliferating all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember um that was around about the time I moved over here and I started a little agency and, and we were using them as marketing as part of our campaign strategy, right? So you'd you'd have part of your uh, campaign would be to have a grab one or a or a flossy or whatever the, the the kind of platform that was relevant to your audience was, and uh, they were amazing little tools for uh, like yeah. Often you were selling at a loss, which is I think what ultimately undid that space and has has caused it to kind of level right off now, and it's not uh, nowhere near as yeah. So you as, as you, one as it was.
1: You, you were right in positioning. Um, I think part of that is like customer fatigue with the whole daily deals thing, but we can come back mm-hmm. to that. Um, I think the way you mentioned as your agency, you were positioning it as part of a campaign, as a marketing cost is is exactly right. Uh, and yeah. and as you rightly say, many of the businesses were operating at a loss by, you know, let's take a restaurant, halving the price of their meals or offering two for the price of one and then paying yeah. grab one a commission on top of yeah, that. Then grab one, takes There's, there's yeah. not a lot of margin. So we absolutely mm-hmm. used to position it as a, as a marketing cost because the business owners... Not wrongly, but they saw it as an operational cost. It's like, oh, you want me to give away, you know, I'm going to pay the chef to cook the meal and the waiter to take it to the table and all that operational cost that I'm, I'm going to lose money on. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, no, not really. Think of it as a marketing cost. What are you spending on, on flyers and loyalty programs mm-hmm. and things like that? And incorporate it into those kinds of costs. Because at the end yeah. of the day, you're on grab one. Um, at the time we had a database of 600,000 people when I was there and um, you 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 know a, a restaurant a restaurant in Auckland might get in front of you know one you know 100,000 people in a morning email or something like that so yeah, well, that's, think that's about the the audience acquisition and the exposure um Correct. is really part of the marketing cost
0: yeah um we even got to the point where we'd go okay let's let's pick a product or a service in your catalog that we can run at a loss but we'll use the traffic that's going to come from the grab one deal to the website to convert them on something else. So we'd have another deal on the website, on the, on the landing page, uh, that, you know, yep, you could, you could, uh, bought the grab one. Most people would would look at the grab one, click the link to the, to the website. And then that was our opportunity. So we saw, we saw those tools as a, as a way to drive traffic to the website to then hopefully convert them on some other deal that wasn't as much of a loss leader. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Um, and the real tactics,
1: mate. Again, that was, that was part of how we'd position it as well. So, you know, we you're, you're renting an audience from grab one, but once you've got people in your restaurant, their, their attention is yours, right? So do what you can when they're in the restaurant. Don't treat them like a... a and I'm using restaurant as a typical example. It's the same yeah. for any business. Don't treat them as a second-class customer. Don't give them a, a less-than version of the experience because they paid less than. The idea is they're in your door now. It's up to you to win mm-hmm. them over and, and hopefully on sale that you know the next visit the next you know manicure the next massage you know the next um, stay at your hotel whatever it might be in your business Um, Mm -hmm. so a lot of the a lot of the b2b marketing we used to do was around getting that positioning right and doing that education piece so that we were stickier um, or more of a an attractive proposition for for businesses so it wasn't Mm -hmm. just this perceived operational costs and giving money away no you're you're renting an audience getting people in your door now your marketing begins you know your opportunity to to sell to them and and upsell that that visit as well as
0: on sell the next one yeah they were a massive um they were a massive piece of the of the puzzle right there was a time when you almost couldn't uh you know I was I was particularly in the um, cosmetic medical space then working with a lot of small you know skin and botox type clinics and uh and it was almost impossible to run a marketing campaign without having some kind of grab one slash you know um daily deal type facet within the campaign so it was about you know okay we're going to have to do this because we're competing against it you know there's no one's going to pay full price for a service when you open up one of these daily deal sites there's five different ones you can choose from for the same service at a fraction of the price so it was about you know if that's what our 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 Customers are already kind of finding online, and, and, and that's what we're up against. And uh, we need to include that, embrace it, lean into it, and figure out our own way of, of kind of adapting that to our strategy. Right? So, um, I think yeah.
1: there's, I think there's always a place for it as part of the the mix for a, for a small business's marketing because it is that you know you physically get people into your into your building or into your business. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, rightly, it's it's not as big as it once was. Um, I think I, I joined right as the, the craze was like ascending and it was it was going crazy. Like we had a ticker on the wall of how many deals we'd sold and how much commission we'd made. And there was some scary big numbers up there at the peak. Um, mm-hmm. And naturally, fed- millions of emails a day,
0: right? Mill- oh, yeah.
1: So, the, yeah, I mentioned we had a database of 600,000 people. We'd email that database twice, sometimes three times a day. So between 1.2, 1.8 million emails a day. Jeez, we're going up. Um, so yeah, it was quite a big beast, and, and and I believe it still is. Like it, it's an mm-hmm. it's an amazing business, and um, a lot of the competitors have fallen away. Groupon left the New Zealand market. Treat me. There's no more living social and spreets and all these other ones that that popped up. Kind of grabbed one, whacked them back down, and it, it kind of yeah, it it had such a huge market share. It was really hard to dislodge. Uh, I guess the lesson there is um, you've got a good idea, back it, take the leap of faith, go all Have in, get in early, get the market share, and it if you if you play your cards right, it's, it's then yours to to keep um but yeah they, 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 there's certainly no craze around the kind of group buying daily deal space that there once was but there's there's absolutely still a market for it, and there's still a place for it in um a small a small business's, uh kind of marketing mix i think
0: mm. so what else do you think um, you know I know you guys have been pretty uh, solely focused or not solely focused but largely focused on the hubspot um, engine and and how to drive that machine. Uh, to its full extent. So uh, my experience when I was at Hype and Dexter is that there's not a lot of small businesses that can afford that engine, right? Like uh, maybe four years ago, five years ago, when it was in its infancy, you could get into it and you could start on a, a sort of a free or, or low cost plan and use it. But now it's become very much the go-to enterprise piece of software in the in the sort of marketing automation sort of CRM space. Uh, it's it's getting pretty expensive now to run HubSpot. Um, what would be your advice, I guess, around you know businesses that are sort of looking at it, going, "Oh, should I go for HubSpot?" or maybe they've they've, they've got a free account or whatever. You know, where do you th- where do you see HubSpot sitting? Where where, where does it get its most value? <clears throat>
1: yeah, sure. Um, it, you, you're dead right in that HubSpot. Certainly, the perception of HubSpot four or five years ago was that it was a a SME small medium enterprise. Um, kind of marketing automation platform marketing solution uh and obviously it's it's expanded in in many different ways and um it's it's been a tough nut to crack for hubspot and for Hypendex as a hubspot partner trying to trying to sell and um, implement the software uh to change that perception Uh, but the the commitment from HubSpot to to developing the platform into the enterprise solution it is now has been amazing. It has come at the expense of some of the more affordable, SME-friendly versions of the software. Um, that said, they still they still swear by the, the the free version of the CRM. You know, its tagline is it's it's free and it always will be. There's mm-hmm. still there's still some utility in that for for small businesses. Um, the
0: starter package is that not just a feeder for Oh I it absolutely is. but you, you know, it's like a drug dealer gives you your first taste for absolutely. free so and really-
1: and you sign up for it and you will not hear the end of HubSpot they'll they'll they <laughs> communicate with you a lot they'll remarket to you a lot um, but the the starter suite of products that they've you know launched and developed over the last sort of 2 years um, which which cater to that don't say you know the smaller end of the market the smaller business um, are getting better all the time as well. So they've just launched a, a starter CMS, which is a platform you can uh, host your website on. Yeah. Um, some of the professional features keep filtering down into the starter product. So they're doing richer kind of workflows and things in, in the starter version of the marketing software. Mm-hmm. Um, the starter sales is, is a is a great product as well, and for probably ninety nine percent of like New Zealand businesses, it would do most of of what what they're, what they're doing. Yeah, what they'd need it to do to replicate their current um, sales sales platform or sales process. Um, it's it's w- when you go pro, when you get into that rich um, pro and enterprise at the levels above, you get into that rich kind of data driven automation and insight and ability to you know really get the platform cranking. And that's where Hypendex to come in and help you map out how it could work for you and how you could you know alleviate all the heavy admin of these sales and marketing processes and operational processes. Start to use the data to automate customer journeys and sales Hmm. communications and and things like that.
0: So there's a couple of things I want to dive into there. Um, First of all, and and I guess tidying it up. So uh, you know, uh, quite a number of our listeners are going to be smaller businesses, people in startups, and the tech stack. And I guess that's your, you know, one of your areas of expertise. Uh, The tech stack is sort of a question, and, and, and what sort of tools should I be looking at? You know, you you would have seen it a million times where they've got the hybrid model where they've, you know, as they've grown and as they've needed stuff, they've bought something or grabbed something and now they're faced with this sort of mess that... Bolted it it
1: onto the other platform and then bolted another one. We call it the Frankenstein rather than the hybrid, but
0: yeah. (laughs) The Frankenstein. So I want to talk a little bit about that and then I want to flip to the other end of that last bit and talk about um, one of the things that I've had a lot of conversations with since I started at Otterfish is talking with small businesses and they just don't get like the level of um the, the level of the ability that people who are using engines like HubSpot you know what they're able to track, trigger, what they're able to learn about their potential customers the, 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 the you know I guess it's a bit of this they don't they don't understand what they're up against. They really have no idea what the bigger businesses that they're competing against, the sorts of tactics and things that they're using against them. And I'd like to, I guess, get while I, while I've got you, uh, a little bit of your kind of insight around, you know, talking us through a little bit about what what are some of those things that they're up against, and then how can they, you know, you know, kind of stay in the game and compete, and 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 you know, not just get whitewalled by the by those engines.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big question. <laughs> I mean, in terms of what they're up against, you've got, uh, and part of the reason Hypendexter was founded, not to make it a shameless plug, but w- was was the recognition oh, that we, r- we founded the business because, um, well, for several reasons, but one, one of the reasons was Ryan Watkins, uh, one of my co-founders, was working at a, a data insight agency, and he saw... Not just the potential of like really rich data and, and leveraging that to inform, you know, customer experiences and better sales process and things right. like that, but just how, how much data and, and how much investment there was in, in data in, in big telcos and banks and other financial institutions, big sort of enterprise businesses. Um, and when we stumbled upon, stumbled upon, uh, it's not the right word, but when, when we discovered HubSpot uh, and realized, oh, actually this can do, you know, n- not everything that, a, you know, a, a bank with a, a data, an insights team of 12 people with loads of analysts pulling the levers and things, it, it can't do that, but it's something that's relatively affordable and user-friendly enough that any business, um, could get a, a I, there's, a, there's an expense to everything, right? But any business could could realize a, a good return on investment by buying mm-hmm. a tool like a HubSpot, and there are other tools out there, like you know ActiveCampaign and SharpSpring, and we've we've played with a few of them. Um, they're actually available and affordable to everyone. Uh, but what you do need is someone who really understands the tool and its capabilities inside out, as well as understanding businesses inside out and how they need to operate. And that's where a partner like HyperDexter. Um, mm-hmm. comes in and helps to understand your business challenges, goals, processes, and then configure the tool to help deliver to those. Um, so in terms of what you're up against as a small business, um, massive investment in in data and making use of data. And as I say, data scientists, data analysts, customer lifecycle managers, cust- um, marketing automation managers, the people who execute using the data to you know, create really rich customer experiences. And like I said, when you sign up for the free HubSpot CRM, they leave no stone unturned in terms of how they communicate with you and personalize the communications and things until you become a paying customer. Um, HubSpot is kind of its own its own best model, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. So this is what companies are looking at. They're looking at what what data do we have about our customers that can inform how we can win more customers, how we can get customers to spend more with us, um, really rich stuff, and and obviously the more tools you have to capture the data, um, the more you can invest in 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 getting the insights and the meaning and, and things that you can execute off the back of that data. Um,
0: so that's the the playing field now, right? Like it, uh, it's, it's know, it is the playing field. It's, it's, it's the standard. Data. Yeah. When when I started in marketing, it was about being creative and it was about coming up with cool shit that people would be into that they uh, that might help. Bring a bit of attention and and, and drive a little bit of um, excitement around your brand, and whilst that's still there, it's it's certainly it's, it's- now become a, a numbers game. You know, I've I've learnt more about data in the last you know three or four years than I ever did in the in the fifteen years pre- preceding that. Right?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it, the creativity is still is still critical, but it's it's kind of the. It's the, it's the soft furnishings and it's the lick of paint and it's the it's the glazing and it's the window frames of the house. It, it's built on a foundation of, of of really good data insights and and you know uh, and research and and these kinds of learnings. Um, are informing you know how we talk about a product, where we talk about it, how many times we talk about it, who we talk about it to, um, and then and then you, of course you, you layer you know great creative to to get people's attention and, and to you know win hearts
0: and minds on top of it. And then you're kind of dissecting all of those different levels of sort of the campaign or the journey or however you want to describe that and, and pulling levers to optimise. You know, like if you sort of find that email three in the nurture journey doesn't seem to have a great conversion rate, you know, we can lift that up. And I think, you know, a lot of small businesses just don't realise that that's the level to which the, compet- the the bigger players in the game that have access to these resources. Yeah, that's right. We, we, They're paying people like you to go, Alex, how do I shift my conversion rate on email three from, from, you know. T- Three percent to seven percent, and you know, because that'll translate to an X amount of you know additional revenue or, or whatever that looks like.
1: That's very true. Um, th- there's a fair bit of work that I would advise you undertake before you get to that kind of like granular. This email, if we lift the conversion rate, point five percent equals this many dollars. Um, but absolutely, we we talk a lot about funnels in, in in our industry, and a lot of companies are aware of you know the concept of a, a marketing funnel or a sales funnel. We we talk more about business funnels at, at Hype and Dexter. You know, it's it's marketing feeding into sales, and then it's sales feeding into after sales and customer service. And then uh, HubSpot calls it the flywheel. Actually, not the funnel anymore. It, it it spins back around, and and the great customer experiences that that you deliver as a company inform your marketing again. We go back to market, and we go look. You know. These are the things our customers say about us, or we you know incentivize customers to go out and tell friends and family to refer us. We wrap incentives around that loyalty schemes, all these things that that keep our existing customers you know looping background and going through that funnel
0: again and bringing some of their friends with them each time mm-hmm. um, and a lot of this stuff is autopilot right like once it 's set up uh, and you and 're bringing people into the funnel, these journeys can go on I, and I remember one of the campaigns we ran together. Uh, went on for like 18 months right like the same campaign still bringing fresh new leads in 18 months later with a minimum of spend
1: yeah yeah and to to extend that house analogy you'll put a fresh lick of paint on it you know you'll you'll change up the imagery and and switch a few words around you will probably have tested you know a a couple of dozen images a couple of dozen headlines uh, along the way and you'll you'll have landed on a few key things if, if the image has you know, these colours and these people doing this thing and we use these words, it works well. You you just keep cycling through. You just you like I say, give it a fresh look of paint and it and it can you uh, can keep going, you can stand it up. Um for yeah, so we're we're not talking about campaigns here that are, you know, a flyer drop that you that you do one day and then you, you sit in your business and wait a couple of months and see if anyone comes through the door. You you invest a couple of months up front to building it, but you do it right and it, it's it's gonna work for
0: you know, x amount of time it, it works for as long as it works. But it's almost that persona, right? So that particular buyer type or customer type set up. There's a there's an, there's a, a conversation, a journey, a pathway in for, to the business for that person. And yeah, while well, you might need to freshen it up every now and again because people get sick of seeing the same creative, that that underlying infrastructure is always there for that type and then you' moving on to the next one and then the next one and then the next one
1: yeah and, that, so and, and that's where easy. you get to the stage where you, you're adding that complexity and then you're getting more granular about which email could be improved and you you mm. you know you pull in those little levers to to sort of get that incremental revenue and, and yeah, improvements on, yeah
0: improvements on on key metrics yeah so if I'm a little business then like you know i'm a I'm a two or three employee type business. Uh, and as the business owner, I'm probably responsible for the marketing of the business, in inverted commas, uh, you know, which means I'm doing anything and everything I can to try and promote the business while running it and and managing the day-to-day, you know, parts of it. What do you think some of the key things that would help uh, someone like that uh, to, I guess, you know, not not get completely blown away by by what we've just spent the last ten minutes or so talking about, you know, how 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 can they, on a, a micro level, stay in the game, and, and what are the key things they should be looking at and taking, uh, paying particular attention to, while until they grow uh, and, and are able to, I guess, hire resources and put people in place to to um, to manage the bigger stuff. Sure.
1: Um, the thing that's always true, regardless of if you've got you know the most complex tech stack or, or nothing at all. Give customers a great experience. Uh, give customers a great product. The best class of service, the best class of product, the best class of of experience will always be true. And it doesn't matter how much you invest in technology. If you don't have that, you know it's 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 fueling a a, a broken machine. You know, um, so absolutely, cus- customer experience is is number one. Uh, and as I said, in that in that kind of um, going beyond the the traditional funnel into that flywheel kind of uh, mentality if you give great customer experiences that they want to tell friends and family about and bring people along to products that they want to buy as gifts for their friends and family you'll you know you, you'll you'll have a, a a marketing army of your customers out there telling people to to buy your products or visit your business so never neglect that always make sure that that's got to be you know top priority mhm um so when you're going down, when you've nailed that, it's, it's an ongoing piece of work, of course, you can never say you've, you've mastered it, um, but make sure that is always the you know first and foremost priority. Um, mm-hmm. You, you want to be looking at technology that does key things that you need to be able to do in your business. So if I can't think of an example, but if you're in a business where there's there's no real means to capture someone's email and no reason to communicate to people by email, then you probably don't need to invest in you know even the, the most basic uh, email platform.
0: Having yeah, said I that, I, think ca- I can't think of a business that wouldn't out. need to do that. So <laughs> let's assume you need to do that. Yeah. You know. I think, I think what, what scares me is the number of businesses that don't have it. What we're talking about is effectively a CRM, right? And there's, yep. there's free ones available. Uh, so there's no real excuse. You know, people who are running on spreadsheets or just their fucking mobile phone contacts list uh, and have no way of tracking and understanding who their customers are, who's in their funnel, where they're in the funnel, none of that stuff. Um, It's just, it's bewildering, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're keeping contact, you know, contact records we talk about, if if you're keeping information on your contact, their name, their email, their phone number, their address, whatever it is in a book, in a Rolodex, in a spreadsheet, on post-it notes, on the wall, then you're missing so many opportunities. Um yeah, as you said, there's there's free CRMs out there. HubSpot is a free version of its CRM. There's other ones, of course. Some are very cheap but have very basic functionality. Some cost the earth, but you know, get it right and it will still return you uh, you know, still still offer a return on investment. Um yeah, get get your customer information into a system. Agree agree on the system, make sure it's captured only in that system and mm-hmm. only in a consistent way. Um, and yeah, that's, that's a great leap forward for any business. If if you don't already have that, um, as I said, I can't think of a business that wouldn't benefit from, from capturing emails. So, you know, whatever you need to do yeah. to be able to do that um, a lot of businesses do just in the course of, you know, if you're a, a business that requires bookings, for example, just in the course of doing business, you'll start to to capture emails. If you're not, give people a reason to sign up for email you know 10 percent off the next purchase or some kind of incentive you don't have to give anything away though you could just be hey we'd love to stay in touch and, and let you know about you know things finding, that like value
0: right like what's, yeah. what's a level yeah. of value that you think people would be willing to um give over an email address yeah so uh, yeah um trying to think like in a
1: um a beauty salon, you know, you just had your nails done or your hair done. Oh, could, can we send you some emails that explain how to, you know, um, look after your manicure so that it lasts as long as possible? Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Bro. The manicurist, you know, was booking me in, you know, in the next two weeks. And I was, I was probably doing it more often than I needed to. Suddenly you're adding value to me as a customer. Here's my information. Mm-hmm. Um, email, email is still a, probably the most um, effective form of digital marketing, despite
0: what anyone might say. Um, I'd go as far as to say email is the number one asset you can have in your business. Yeah. Um, you know, with all of these changes, like, you know, everybody in marketing cringes a little bit when you say the Apple iOS 14 update, um, which has now moved into the iOS 15 update where they're almost doubling down on these um, ability to to. S- Blur the lines and 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 minimize the amount of app tracking and, and and all of those cookie tracking beautiful things that we've you know enjoyed for the last decade or so. It, it, you know there is thinking that it'll come to an end. I you know you and I have talked about it in the past. We kind of both agree that somebody will figure out a way to fucking hack around it because it's so important to be able to track people's activity and behaviour in order to serve them the right message and not waste your their time and your time uh, marketing to the wrong people. So I think, yeah, somebody will figure it out. But right now, uh, there's definitely a push from some of the bigger operating system um, developers to minimise the amount of tracking that's going on and and prioritising people's privacy again. So suddenly your email list, if all of that gets switched off, if you suddenly can't, you know, go into Facebook and pull out an audience of, you know, uh, 45 to 55 year old females who live in this region who have these interests. You can't do that anymore because we don't track any of that activity. <laughs> Suddenly, that email list is absolutely vital for you, um, and it's it's could be arguably your only source to to revenue uh, yeah, with your know, yeah. existing customer base. It goes back to what we were saying before
1: about when you when you you know advertise your your business on GrabOne, you're renting our audience. You, you're getting in front mm-hmm. of you know hundred thousand eyeballs on our email list, but you know you you don't want to be renting. You want you want to you want to you want to pay right. pay to acquire yeah. right uh it's like the same I say you don't, have to, here, right? you don't yeah. have to pay to acquire sometimes you can just you can just you know give someone a great experience and a reason to keep engaging with you they'll yeah. give you their information and then
0: totally.
1: you, you own you you've earned their attention and now you can mm-hmm. own the conversation
0: yeah that's and, and that's a lot of the you know social media strategies about that right it's exactly that same approach it's earn the right to have a conversation don't just try and sell everybody something it's not a public billboard you know yeah And I think that that's the people who do social media effectively focus on the social side of it and just focus on earning the right to have a conversation and continue to have a conversation with people at scale. Uh, And, you know, you would be the least fucking most popular person in the room if you just walked into the party going, hey, I've got, you know, buy one, get one free on blah, blah, blah. You know, suddenly you'd find yourself in the corner with no mates and no one willing to buy you a beer. Yeah. so okay, so get a get a crm I, I kind of think that you know we, we still whilst it 's changing, we still make purchasing decisions on websites right so there's the, the, the company 's website's still involved in the journey and and arguably it may always be involved in the journey, so that 's kind of home base and then everything needs to connect to that so your social media needs to connect to that anything else you 're doing in the digital sense needs to connect to that, and the CRM is usually the tool that brings all of those things together so that 's that's, that's kind of how I describe it to a small businesses. Your CRM becomes the sort of centre of your hub and then you've got your website, your Facebook, your YouTube, whatever else you've kind of got out there and your physical stuff as well, all kind of plugging into that that central hub. Yep. Uh, Okay, so got to get my tech organised. It sounds like I need to care about data. Um, Have you come across or are you familiar with any platforms that help you gather Visualize, interpret, use data as a small business. I don't, I don't have a degree in statistics. I don't have access to a uh, a business analyst, but I've got my Google Analytics data coming in, for example, or I've got my Facebook data coming in somewhere. Have you come across any any little basic fundamental tools and things that might help people uh, start on their journey towards uh, making data driven decisions? Yeah,
1: yeah, great point. I mean, I mean, it's it's one thing to to start gathering data. It's another thing to have tools to collect data. <laughs> it's useless if you don't know how to
0: interpret it and how to do anything yeah. with it, right? What is the CTR? What is the CPA? What does all of that stuff actually mean? Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, all this information's out there. If if you you need to understand sort of sort of key metrics, um, I might just touch on that quickly before I answer your question. One of the key metrics, which so few businesses that I that I Consult to, and I'm talking like global SaaS businesses through to we're dealing know. with household names in hyper. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, all, all the all the way through from you know a small Auckland catering firm to a massive global uh, software business with like 50 million users. They've never calculated what the the value of their customer is, so they've they've never gone through the exercise of going. So
0: true. Going,
1: how many, how much, many, how, how much yeah. revenue have we made? How many customers have generated that revenue, and how long have they been with us? And if you know those three things, which most businesses, if they cared to look, would be able to find out, you'd be able to work out how much a customer on average is worth to you, and how long they stay with you. So, for example, you know, uh, our average customer spends a thousand dollars with us over three years. Um, so that they were three hundred thirty-three dollars a year. Um, and over a lifetime, thousand dollars. Therefore, I, as a business, can probably afford to spend a hundred dollars acquiring a new customer because I know, on average, I'll get a thousand dollars out of out of acquiring that customer. Like if you, and uh, like I say, it's shocking, but most businesses, even though the the math is relatively simple, never sat down and figured that out. And that is mm. the key insight that will. Inform what your marketing budget should be, mm-hmm. whether marketing whether is I'm working you' yep. yeah if you're paying <laughs> five hundred bucks a lead and you want to get a thousand dollars from the average customer. Um, and it costs $500 to service that customer, you, you're only breaking even, right? So you need to know these things. So you need to know how
0: much to invest in what areas and whether your investment is paying off. And which um, channels are performing, right? So if you're advertising across a few different channels and a lot of these businesses are going, oh, let's have a crack at Facebook, let's have a crack at TikTok or yeah. whatever it is, you know, how do you know if that channel is actually performing?
1: So, so there's, there's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of metrics out there to be measured. But if there's one that I would implore small business owners to master because I say the maths isn't that hard. If you, if you care to, if you care to look, you'll have, you'll have the numbers and the, the sums are pretty simple. Uh, yeah, make it, make it customer lifetime value, work that out. Mm-hmm. And and that is, yeah, that is to me an absolute, an absolute win and an absolute must yeah. do. Um, it's
0: a- I'll talk about CPA, which is the next step from that. Uh, it's, yeah, one of, yeah c- Cost per cost acquisition. Per so, the, yeah, yeah, that's. How, the, how, how how much I mentioned that without account? without saying CPA, yeah. but yeah, yeah, what it costs to acquire a customer is your yeah. CPA, and how much can I afford? Yeah, so you're right. I, I totally agree. That's, and and yeah, your accounting software can tell you that, right? Like your PL statement for the last 12 months can tell you. Well, It comes back to having a CRM, right?
1: If your if your customer database is on post-it notes on the wall, you count up your post-its. But <laughs> yeah. if they're in your CRM, you just go, how many customers do I have? This many, yeah. how much revenue have I made over five years, this much. Okay, so a customer seems to be worth mm-hmm. this much to my business and then go from there. Uh, yeah. In terms of platforms that will tell you that um, or, or help inform you know, what you do with the data, there's a really good one called Nine Spokes. Um, just happened mm-hmm. to be a, a recent client of, of Hypendex and I was, I was really impressed. They offer nine hence the name um not, and you mentioned that kind of like spoke kind of thing with the serum mm-hmm. in the middle um they they offer nine kind of business critical dashboards for free as part of their platform and then you can obviously pay to
0: enhance the you know the the amount you can drill down into the, the dashboard so you plug and everything into it and it and it and it kind of defaults with a here's a, here's some meaningful data from what you've you've connected to us
1: yeah yeah and it, it's it it's a focus on the operational stuff so we we'll look at you know you know cash flow and invoicing and revenue and p and l and and those kind of like operational kind of um reports and and present that data in a way that is easy to understand um easy, easier to interpret um you know where you're winning where you're not winning where there's opportunities to improve um but in my mind, it comes back to it comes back to the CRM. If you can get the right CRM, and you can plug in as you, as you can with many of them, plug in your accounting software, your Zero or whatever, um, you know, plug in whatever other business critical systems you have. You know, if you're running Google Ads, plug in that Google Ads account. You'll be able to start to pull together this data and and having it in one place in one system. Ideally, like mm-hmm. I say, in a CRM where your customer information also lives. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's really hard to identify patterns when you're looking at, you know, Google the Analytics problem. and, and oh, different yeah. systems and, and things in isolation. Um, that CRM, again, again, is is really critical um, and central. Plus to, the, the, uh, the,
0: the attribution modeling, right, which is kind of the, the elephant in the room whenever you, you have a marketing conversation or you're talking to any platform and you start talking about attribution modeling, you watch people age prematurely right in front of you. Um, but yeah, it's it's trying to make sense of I run Facebook ads, I run some Google search ads and which are the one which which is performing and there's a pretty good chance that both of them are contributing to a sale, right? So um so it's trying to understand, I guess, those sorts of um Challenging bits of information to interpret, you know, if you're looking at these things in isolation with uh, you, 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 your AdWords interface is telling you one story, your Facebook interface is telling you another, but your CRM might be able to sort of pull all that together and tell you a, a more meaningful story.
1: Uh, absolutely. And, and as we've said, you know, the CRM is where your customer data lives and, and potentially where, you know, those those real numbers around how much customers have spent with you and how much revenue they've brought to your business Um that's where that information lives. And that's, and that's obviously, you know, the most critical information to a business that you need to ensure is, is correct before you start stressing about, um, you know, Facebook saying, I've I've had 15 clicks, but Google's saying I only had 14 visits to the
0: web page. Why is it different? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. And um, I, I always sort of talk to small businesses and startups and things and say, just use the data as a guide that, that, that kind of analytical data, the, um, that that posthumous stuff, you know, it's happened, and you're looking back on it and reflecting on it. Uh, there's a bit of a, there's a huge challenge at the moment, and I have to admit, I think HubSpot's probably one of the leading horses in the race to try and solve this multi attribution modeling. And you know, how do we, you know, how do we work out exactly how much of the marketing spend in each different channel is, is is performing, and you know, all of that stuff that is absolutely and horrifically confusing for even probably the data scientists of the world to try and figure out um but certainly for a small business that's that's looking at it i I always sort of say look it's more of a guide you know don't don't get uh too bogged down in the in the nitty-gritties and the and the decimal places of things and uh you know worrying about like you say if the data reporting on different platforms is different and you can't make sense of it you know I, i think uh it's it's really sound advice to just say okay What does your gut tell you and what does the data tell you and and do those two things align or are they at odds? And if they're at odds, then maybe you need to investigate a bit further. If they're aligned, then you're probably doing the right things and you should keep going.
1: Yeah, and, and I would say if there is discrepancies in the data and they're actually having a meaningful impact on the business, do do have someone investigate them like <laughs> mm. don't, don't ignore them but yeah the, some of the little granular things that businesses focus on that oh even if we figured it out yeah, would it really like, What would you do differently do. with it yeah. yeah if you're hemorrhaging oh. if you're hemorrhaging cash on your bottom line and the data's screaming at you to do something about that then do something about that before you yeah. you worry about you know click attribution and things
0: <laughs> oh cool. Uh okay, uh so final question. We probably should wrap this up. What are we into? About forty-five minutes or so, I yeah. think. Um So final question is what's the your number one thing that you're really into right now in terms of uh digital marketing? What's your uh what's your kind of go-to? What's the thing that you've seen that may have, you know, done something really cool, uh shifted the needle, it was something new you tried that got a really good result. What's your, what's what are you into right now, Alex? Oh, you put me on the spot there. Um mm. I keep
1: finding myself talking to businesses about lifecycle mar- marketing, mm-hmm. and it's a bit of an umbrella term that, that encompasses almost everything that we've been talking about. So that that better understanding of of your customer, like you, you're, if you're a business that's got customers, their behaviour, their data will tell you how they want to interact with your business and, and what they want to buy and what they're interested in. So lifecycle marketing. Again, the golden metric is that customer lifetime value because you know what mm-hmm. what it 's worth investing in a customer because you know what you get from them um, life cycle marketing is about not just focusing on that acquisition new leads in new leads in new leads in, and now it 's sales's problem they 've got the lead or it's um, customer services problem they bought the thing and it wasn 't mm-hmm. what they wanted um, looking after looking at and looking after the customer all the way through that process. What are they doing in the sales process? What are they engaging with? Are they reading case studies? Okay, we need more case studies or, you know, are we winning these higher value deals um, because of, you know, this this cool calculator we put on the website or whatever, okay, cool. Let's invest in making that even better so that we do more of that. And this is me thinking as a, as a marketer in 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 ways that kind of um, go beyond what you traditionally deem the, the marketer be, to be concerned with. Mm-hmm. Um, like I say, all the way through to the after sales experience, what, what is it like to be our customer? I've, I've, you know, engaged with the marketing, I've engaged with the sales team. I've bought the thing. Um, do we, lots of businesses do, do we just leave the customer alone now and go best to luck? You know, what is that after sale um, experience like, you know, is there, and, and with, you know, the kind of tools we're talking about, this opportunity to to automate these things. Based on you buying this, we'll send you this series of emails, or we'll start to promote the, um, you know, you've bought the iPad, we'll start showing you ads for the the Apple Pencil or whatever it is that mm-hmm. is supplementary to what you've just bought. And like I say, understanding that it's data will tell you the the golden window for someone who's just bought an iPad when they're most likely to buy an Apple Pencil or a keyboard or a case or whatever. So you'll know mm-hmm. when to ask. Uh, you know, w- when to show them and, a- and ask for those additional sales at the right time. Uh, and then what does it look like beyond that? Like when do they, um, I'm in the market for an iPad, can you tell? When, when do they want to buy um, the upgrade of the iPad? Okay, is it, going. What stage have they picked you at? <laughs> oh, I've just started looking, so I'm early <laughs> stage. Um, you know, when am I likely to upgrade? Is it two years? Is it three years? Mm-hmm. And, and based on my customer type, maybe it's four or five years, which it would be in my case, Um so yeah, th- this is life cycle, marketing So it's understand the entire customer lifetime and what it looks like in different stages and understanding you don't just mm-hmm. go from marketing into sales to becoming a customer. You go back through and you'll go through many times in a loop and you'll go through backwards and then you'll have a problem and you'll go to customer service. So what can we do on that side that can inform yeah, cool. our
0: marketing as well? Yeah, it's it's almost like I had this, uh, this saying that wherever the rubber touches the road, marketing needs to be involved right and I know that most marketers are probably going fuck Trevor shut up you're my my, I'm busy enough Um, but in my mind you know you're having a marketing conversation every time you touch a customer like every time a customer is interacting with anything whether it be a website or a customer service phone call or a a Twitter exchange because you didn't get your your trading vehicle refunded or whatever it happens to be um, you know marketing needs to be aware of what's going on uh, how is that being uh, you know how is that journey like you say that life cycle marketing how, how are we taking uh, making the most of that opportunity are we, are we adding as much value as we can for our customers at that point in the journey or are we are we proactive in that you know that 80 20 rule right where uh, you know 20% of your customers Account for eighty percent of your revenue, and and what are you doing to identify, nurture, and make the most of those twenty percent? And are you doing anything, or are you just hoping that you know you, your, your lookalike audience on Facebook will bring more of them into your funnel?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's critical that marketing, not necessarily dictating what every customer touchpoint looks like, but is is aware of what every customer touchpoint, mm-hmm. uh, every every touchpoint that potentially exists. For a yeah. business, because every time you engage with a business as a customer, it affects your perception of that business, that business as brand, and your relationship with that business, right? Um, and there's no way there's no way to get around that. So, um, at least being aware that these touch points are happening because I know, I know salespeople don't take too kindly to being told, Oh, you should say this cause it's on brand or customer experience should mm-hmm. do this cause it's more on brand. It's not about that. It's about understanding these touch points happen and what can we do to, to improve. what's, come before, what's, yeah, yeah, what's well, the context and the how, context. how did we get yeah. here and how do we, how do we yeah. you know get to the next it's stage? It's not about
0: just pushing the, the, the key selling messages at every available opportunity.
1: Exactly. Cause um, there's
0: times when it's absolutely not appropriate to sell to the totally. lead or to um, the customer. Yeah, and I, I I think that's amazing advice that any business can do at any stage of their journey, right? Whether you're about to launch, um, you're a year in uh, or you're, you know, 20 years in, taking the time to understand the full customer lifecycle and you very quickly when you start to map it down, draw it out, write it down, however you sort of digest that information, you start to see little areas and opportunities straight away. You start going, shit. That's a touch point we've completely ignored. You know, we've never yeah, and a, a great we to way to do it. this, a practical way to do this is
1: we're all customers of something or other, right? So take
0: mm-hmm.
1: take mental note, take an actual note of when you've had an interaction with a business and whether it, how it made you feel. Was it particularly good or bad? Um, was it something you want to replicate? Like for, as an example, it's amazing how many businesses sell really high value, big ticket items. And then once you bought the the thing, whatever it is, See you later. Uh, we don't, we don't reach out yeah. to you until three years' time when we want to sell you the new one. There's there's, no, yet- there's no care in between, you know? There's no totally. relationship nurturing or anything that happens in between. Uh, and that, that is a big gap for a lot of businesses, and that's probably one that, yeah, if you feel like you have that gap in your business, you should address
0: it. Well, you should take the time to look, right, um, because you don't know what you don't know, and, yeah. and taking the time to sit down and map these points out and literally write them out, you know, uh, I map out every, every page of the website they have to go through and what, what that looks like right through, you know, all the way. And um, it's interesting you talk about making the most of those opportunities. Are, uh, it reminded me of a, a story of a friend of mine who she bought a, a secondhand Lexus on Trade Me, took it into the Lexus dealership to have it serviced. This is, a, I, don't know, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years old. It was a, it was a secondhand Lexus done 30,000, 40,000 Ks, whatever it was. Took it into the Lexus dealership to have it serviced, and that Lexus dealership b- invited her to become one of their customers. So she hadn't even bought the car from that dealership. She'd given them no money apart from the cost of servicing the car. And they set her up with, uh, you know, they put her on mailing lists to give her early access to tickets. They invited her to do test drive days. They, they basically nurtured her like she'd spent, you know, hundred grand on a brand-new car at the dealership. And so when time came for her to, to upgrade her car, she went straight into that same dealership and bought a brand new Lexus and didn't even think about it. And it was, you know, it, it was all because that dealership recognized that that was a touch point that they could make the most of and add value at um to somebody who's already bought the product and and weren't you know oh you didn't buy it from us so you know you can piss off and and go somewhere else it was like okay here's an opportunity to somebody who's into our product they bought it from the competitor but why don't we try and win them as a client and it totally worked absolutely worked great example yeah yeah it's so important to to make the most of all of those little touch points all right mate well we uh i better sign this thing off um thanks for for coming and joining us and giving up some of your time hopefully our listeners Grab something useful from that. Otherwise, it was just nice to have a chat. Yeah, yeah, good yarn, mate. Thanks for having me along. Enjoyed it. <laughs> cool. Um, and the we need to do a corporate sign-off line because we do get paid. We, well, the bill gets paid. So this uh, this podcast is brought to you by Otterfish. Uh, Otterfish makes smart ads easy, and uh, is really relevant to this conversation. Actually, Otterfish is a great tool for getting that data. So you can uh, set up and test a range of Facebook ads really easily and test it into different audiences so you can test your headlines, you can test your copy, you can test your image and get a feel for uh which is uh, performing the best and artificial will do that for you really easily, really quickly and really cheaply. So before you go spending big on on Facebook ads or whatever other channel you're going to, uh Autofish is a great little tool to use. So there's the plug for Autofish. Thanks Alex Good we'll uh we'll catch up with you again mate. All the best. Thanks everybody. Cheers. Thanks. So- <music>